and welcome back to another preview podcast on Code with Kingy, where we are looking at the second Bledisloe Cup test in 2020 to be played at Eden Park this coming Sunday afternoon. Now I'm joined by my dad to help cover this fixture. I was actually meant to have one of the boys on this week, but unfortunately they had to pull out due to other commitments. So I'm hoping that somewhere down the line I'll be able to have them join me. Now I won't name names, but I thought I'd make a special shout out to Damien Collins, who from what I gather is making the most of his time outside of work and, yeah, just keeping himself rather busy. So, yeah, shout out to you, Damien. Uh, anyway, just like last week, I'll just look to get my old man's thoughts on what transpired on the weekend while also casting our eye to this upcoming game and what we think will change both with the game plan and with the team. Enjoy. Well, tēnā Dad. Thank you for coming in and... Thank you for coming in on such short notice. Um, unfortunately, I had one of my mates bail on me, but of course, uh, family is always there in your hour of need. So, yeah, welcome back on for I think it's maybe your third or fourth time in Cobra Kingy. So, yeah, about time. <laughs> <laughs> hey man, I like you know I like I like to you know just get an assortment of different people on so that for the two or three people that actually listen to this thing. They get a bit of variety, so... No, no, yeah, it's all good. It's all don't, good. don't take it too personally. Don't take it too personally. Yeah, well, we'll jump straight into Sunday, or the Sunday Just Gone's game. Uh, what were your initial thoughts having, or even like now, with it being Wednesday, you know, and having a bit of time to sort of just gloss over the game and maybe go back and revisit some stuff? What did you make of Sunday? I thought it was a typical first up of... Uh, appearance for the All Blacks. They, they're usually quite rusty the first time. I also think that the Aussies had everything to gain and the All Blacks had everything to lose. So whether, whether you know, I think unless the All Blacks had probably, you know, given them a good hiding, I think anything less than that, I think the Aussies or the media could have spun it in a way because there were no expectations of the Australian team. So I think the All Blacks were on the hiding to nothing regardless. But, you know, it sort of made, I guess, you know, the next three tests quite exciting because what it means is that the All Blacks have to win at least two of them to keep the Bledis low cup. So as far as making a series of it, it's great for the competition or great for the rivalry. Um, But the game itself, yeah, I wasn't too... Yeah, it didn't excite me too much. I mean, obviously the last 10 to 15 minutes was quite dramatic, but it, I think it made the game better than I actually thought it was. I don't know what your thoughts are. It was pretty scrappy. I don't think that the weather helped in that second half. And like you said, that first 20 minutes, I think both teams were feeling each other out. Uh, and, yeah, I mean, the All Blacks scored that, that good first up try and then it was a bit of a slog fest towards the back end of the first half. And I think had Rico Iwani scored that try, uh, you know, grounding the ball properly rather than doing the sort of showbody thing that he does. And I mean, like, I mean, I mentioned it to you when I was talking to, uh, about that incident with you yesterday, you know, like, I think we both agreed that it was bound to happen sooner rather than later. And he's not the first guy to bomb a try. I know that 
Jeff Wilson kept pretty quiet in the commentary, uh, considering his history with losing balls, and especially having lost the Bledisloe um, in, in his case. And you know, the likes of Tana Umunga's done it. I'm pretty sure Christian Cullen's done it. And yeah, it was just unfortunate for the guy, like having made that shift into centre, um, which was his first start in an All Black jersey. That there were just a couple of things that didn't go his way. That come the end of the game, that they were, I guess, decisive. Well, you know, they 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 counted for a lot. But yeah, like. I think, like, even thinking about it now, like, as as aggressive as the Wallabies were, and a lot of people have pointed to the fact that, you know, this is quite uh, a typical Dave Rennie performance. You know, he, he puts a lot of emphasis on getting his boys up before a game and making sure that they're, they're up for the physical side of things. And I think the Aussie really controlled the breakdown, and I thought that they had a better kicking game, actually. I, I didn't think that the, the back three looked all that assured in receiving the ball, but, I mean that's sort of something you take into consideration whenever you play in Wellington but I think the fact that the Aussies I guess played better than the All Blacks and the All Blacks still managed to not come away with a loss I think that's maybe a thumbs up in the All Black department I know that the likes of Aaron Smith and Dane Coles have come out in the media this week and and, and spoke about their disappointment in themselves with, with what transpired on Sunday but yeah, I think going into this weekend, I think we'll probably see a better All Blacks outfit. But, I mean, you touch on the Wallabies having everything to gain and the All Blacks having everything to lose. Having looked at both press conferences with both Sam Kane and Ian Foster, now I had to eat my words, and my guest I had on last week had to eat his words um, around Sam Kane and his performances during the year, but I thought he really stood up uh, and put in a captain's knock. But, yeah, Ian Foster didn't. Um, I guess for both me and other avid rugby followers, he he wasn't all that assuring in his press conference, and it was almost as if he didn't really give a shit about the result, or either that or he was just trying to not try and add to the hype of what was already being built up by the Australian media. But yeah, I mean, I know, I know that the All Blacks haven't lost there in what since 1994, and and the Wallabies haven't beaten them there since '86. I'm not sure how to feel because. I know that you know there's this sort of aura around the All Blacks and the fact that they never lose at Eden Park, but I think going into this weekend, considering what we saw last week and how much confidence I think the Aussies would have taken away, I think it's even worse than last weekend. I think that you know the, there's almost no pressure on the Wallabies this weekend because you know if they lose, it's oh well, you know the All Blacks never lose at Eden Park. Whereas like if the All Blacks drop the second test, and especially if Ian Foster sticks with a similar squad to what he picked last week, uh, I, I think that. Every man and his dog will be calling for Ian Foster to get sacked, <laughs> which may, which may be fair, but but at the same time, I know that there's been a loss of experience, and there are a few guys that are out or have been out with injuries that I think would have made a difference on Sunday. But I mean, did you like what you saw from the Australians with their game plan? I mean, like it was closely similar to what they did in Perth last year, but. I didn't think that they actually created that much of the play. It was more so the physical stuff, and the All Blacks just didn't quite get the time to adapt. And then, you know, with the change of the weather, I think it really took the game in terms of the width that they were looking to play it out of their hands. So, yeah, did, did you have anything to mention around that? Um, I think in the last couple of years, because especially up front, the All Blacks haven't been as dominant. I think they've relied a lot on just scoring points really quickly off opposition mistakes, so like from turnovers. 
and I think they've got to the stage where they've relied on it too much so I think if you look at like say for example if you went back to the World Cup last year when they beat the South Africans the South Africans were all over them but in the space of 10-15 minutes they just sort of went bang 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 and that was the game so and the difference you know and I think when they came up against the English they came undone because the English didn't give them the opportunities so I th I personally think that it's a bit of a myth that uh, we're a team that makes a lot of play because I think a lot of teams want us to make play to knock us over whereas I think the real strength we've had is being able to do defend, defend, defend and then when there's a quick turnout we can just go bang, bang, bang just like that I think we're more vulnerable when we've got more ball to be honest and I think so when we had the ball I think the Aussies just went into attack this is like okay let's just really attack them when they've got the ball and I think it played into their hands so when we had the ball they just wanted to spoil everything and then just play a foul mistake so I mean that's that's the way I saw it and it's, it's actually happened before like if you sort of see it when they've had those games that they sort of lost to the Irish as well I mean we're going back you know a couple of years now but a lot of it is basically spoiling, spoiling our attacking game whereas we've always had the ability to sort of defend, defend, defend and then just go bang, bang, bang as I sort of said um, and I I think the only way we can remedy that is I think our forwards really need to bar up because I don't think they've done it for a couple of years so the, the, the so I mean you haven't got Brodie Retallick you haven't got Kieran Reid you haven't got Jerome Kano you haven't got maybe for example I mean maybe even like a Liam Squire so there's some hard buggers and even like Owen Franks I know he's an old man but these were some hard buggers and I think it's sort of that hard nosed edge that we've sort of slowly over time just one by one those guys that were the hard men of our Ford pack haven't really been replaced I think that because of the style that New Zealand is renowned for, I think a lot of the dirty work that is done with those guys that you've named sort of goes unnoticed because a lot of the time, like you mentioned, with all the turnover ball and, and all the all the awesome tries that the All Blacks score, it's always like a back or, or it's always the, the finesse stuff that I guess gets mentioned in, in the after-match recaps and uh, in, the, in the highlights packages. But, yeah, I, I think that... Well, looking at some of the lacklustre performances that the All Blacks have had over the last 12 to 24 months, the blueprint, it seems, so if we, if we talk about what happened on the weekend, uh, last year's semi-final, last year's game at the Caketon against the Springboks, and you mentioned the Irish and then also the Lions test, uh, it, like you said, it, it's all about disrupting our our attack and controlling position and almost and controlling the territory, so none of these teams have actually made a lot of play so if, like if you take last year's world cup for example I, I think the biggest hurdle that the all blacks found themselves behind was the fact that the english got on the board so early so they got that early try and then from there the english actually didn't create a lot of play it was all about putting the all blacks under pressure so like i mean you saw it on the weekend the, the amount of box kicks that, that nick white was putting up and you know that's been um, a trend with with all the games that I just mentioned. So before, prior to that, it was the likes of Ben Youngs doing it, and then before that, it was Fuff de Klerk, and then you have Connor Murray, who 
who's arguably one of the best box kickers in the world. And then, yeah, the line speed that, that these teams are bringing. And I, I think that the, the All Blacks' persistence in wanting to play this wide game uh, is sort of comes undone. And, uh, and I think that I'm, I'm not sure like what goes on like on the field and, and whether or not that's just them being stubborn bastards. But yeah, I think that well, everyone knows that the way that you beat defensive line speed is either you look for space in behind, so that's you know where, where your kicking game comes in, or you play through the middle, suck them in, and then look to go wide. And unfortunately, in some of the bigger games, like I mentioned over the last 24 months, the All Blacks haven't quite been able to negate the defensive line speed that these teams have been bringing to them and and, and yeah like you mentioned it, it really does all start in the forwards and going off forwards as well I know, I know a lot's been made of you know the bulk up for a lot of other countries and, and I did a bit of research around it and funnily enough like if I, I, I took the weights from last weekend's team and that added up to about 897 kilograms compared to the Aussies 903 so that was a six kilogram difference and then I compared the All Blacks pack from last Sunday to last year's South African team that won the World Cup final and then the English team that they played. And funnily enough, the English team actually weighed a kilo less uh, and then the Springboks, um, to no surprise, were actually 20 kilos heavier. Um, and I mean, like the, the South Africans are renowned for their size, but yeah, I don't know. It, it's funny, like, I, I, was quite, I was quite taken back at the fact that the All Blacks did weigh that much. Now I I did take a look at the heights and I don't know like I don't know how much height goes into play you know in terms of like with the the power to height ratio in terms of these guys and their size but yeah it, the All Blacks do look a little undersized but like having done the maths on their weights they aren't actually undersized or they're not, they're not that far off the pace with some of the other teams going around yeah but there's the stats you're given and then there's the real stats. So you still don't really know how true the stats are. You know, they can yeah. be sort of quite deceiving. I, I, I just think the All Blacks have had a successful formula. So if you look at between 2011-2015, that's pr- pretty close to the most complete All Black team we had in a long, long time. We had the combination of, you know, um, an awesome backline, but a very, very solid... Uh, forward pack that could dominate when it chose to now since then and I think this has been the fault partially and unintentionally of actually Bowden Barrett so what I mean by that is back in 2016 he just became a revelation and then all of a sudden when he got sort of world play of the year everything started revolving around him now as soon as teams and namely when the Lions came in 2017, once they nullified him, basically international rugby came up with a formula to nullify the All Blacks attacking game because they nullified Bowden Barrett. And then eventually what happened, and this is just from my observation, is that the All Blacks, and I think that's part of the reason probably why they put Barrett into fullback and brought in Maunga as first five because they realised that actually Bowden Barrett's play at first five had been nullified, but they still realised how awesome he was as an attacking force. So they thought, well, maybe put him at the back, maybe put him out wider. He's still there as a second receiver or an optional first receiver um, and just have going with that two playmakers role. So I, I think 
pretty much between 2006 and 2019, they became so reliant on Bowden Barrett, and then eventually, just to sort of, I guess, vary their play, they put him into fullback. And I think it came back and bit them on the arse, to be honest. While, as I talked about, they slowly started losing those hard men and Owen Franks and Jerome Kano, you know, and Kieran Reid wasn't quite the same, and Liam Squire was sort of very up and down. You know, and now that they've they've lost Retellick, what till the middle of next year, Sam Whitelock's not getting any younger. There's just all those little things I think, and even like someone like Dame Coles, who was a bit of a, he's always been a bit of a stirrer. Um, he's been very in and out because of injury, and I just think those sort of things that the All Blacks have become reliant a lot more on our on our attack, which is sort of reminiscent of what the All Blacks were like back in sort of like the late 90s and early 2000s, we had awesome backs, but we just didn't have the forwards. So if you look at the back line back 20 years ago, you had, you know, Andrew Mertens or Carlos Spencer, you know, you had Tana Umanga, Lama Iramir, Jeff Wilson, Christian Cullen, Jonah Lomu. You know, we had a Rolls-Royce back line, but, you know, like a Toyota for a Ford pack. And that was part of the reason why we didn't win for so long. And I think we just sort of took for granted when we had that Rolls-Royce Ford pack around the time, you know, when we were winning the World Cup around 2010, 2011, right through 2015. I think what we've got to realise is that we actually probably took that vintage Ford pack for granted. And once key guys went, it was really, really hard to replace them. And now we've sort of just come back to the pack because of that. So you think about two World Cups you know, 2011, 2015, it'll probably never happen again. So I think that's something we just need to appreciate that time. And all it is is like, yeah, we're not the dominant force that we used to be. That's the way I see it. Yeah, I think that New Zealand rugby fans, especially a lot of people around my age group, have been spoiled in a lot of ways with with the dominance of the All Blacks pretty much after the 07 World Cup and carrying that through even up until 2019, I know that they had the blip with, with the Lions series in 2017, but before that, uh, the All Blacks had won X amount of rugby championships. I mean, we've held the Bledisloe Cup for God knows how long. And I think now, with what you're seeing, especially at the under-20 level, because New Zealand hasn't actually been all that great with their age group stuff, and what we're seeing now is, I think last year's Australian schoolboys team spanked you know, the New Zealand schools and... Uh, you, you look at what the French are doing and the English and, and and even the Australians at the under 20 level I'm pretty sure they made the semis or the final against the French is that with this new crop of players or this new generation of, of rugby players coming through because they are actually dominating New Zealand teams at the age group level that by the time they get to the senior level there's there's no fear uh, or or at least from from my observation, um, especially what happened on Sunday, you know, I, you know, I might have a change of opinion if, if the All Blacks go out and spank them this Sunday, but yeah, I think that we we may be seeing a, a turn in world rugby, and um, of course, being a Kiwi, you know that that's not what you, you want to hear because you know we want to see the All Blacks dominating week in week out, but you know this sort of stuff happens. You, you see it with all sports. That you know you have a you have an influx of great talent across the park, and then you hit patches where, like you said, um, going back to the late 1990s and early 2000s, that there are some some key areas that that are crucial to to, to winning your tough test matches, 
and looking forward now, like I know that Grant Fox has come out and, and talked about our, our lack of locks or our lack of depth in that area. Our two hookers that we've got in there at the moment, our two starting hookers and, and Coles and Taylor, you know, they're not getting any younger. And yeah, there's the the aura of the All Blacks just isn't the same and probably hasn't been the same since since 2017 when the Lions came and did a number on us. But a lot was made. I'm um, going back to the game of the the failure to kick a drop kick and the All Blacks not adapting to the conditions. Uh, you know, I, I think that they got a punch in the face in that first half and. Yeah, well, they were quick to regroup and score that try, and then they should have scored that other try. I think that everyone can sort of admit that they weren't that quick to, I guess, change their game plan, or you know, nothing was said in the sheds. So, do you, do you put that down to a lack of leadership? You know, that that lack of composure in the last, you know, 15 minutes. You know, albeit Australia had the first opportunity to to kick that drop goal, but. I mean, when you're sitting right under the post, and like it's like, yeah, you, you can make the point that Geordie Barrett may have had the overlap and it was a poor pass to him, but it's literally a chip shot. And I don't, and like, even if he had a miss, it's like, well, at least we actually set up for the drop kick and took that punt rather than sort of just plugging away, plugging away, plugging away, and looking to score the try like like they did last year against South Africa when we were down at the end of the field. It wasn't like it was a quarter-final, a semi-final, or a final. So you've got to remember there was still three other tests to play. Which and I, I think I, I, the game, though. I, I do understand that, but you also got to remember it's a series. It's not a knockout match. So the, the drop kicks, they are vital in a knockout match because it's do or die. Like, regardless of whether you win or lose this game, that's not the end of the world. I don't know. That, that's just my take on it. It was just like, well, it's a series. It's not... A knockout game so there is a slight difference in the mentality I don't sort of really blame the Aussies because they were a lot more inexperienced than us so um, if it was based on experience then maybe our guys should have nailed it but it is what it is. I think it's it's more so the fact that this has been a reoccurring theme for the All Blacks the fact that they've turned down opportunities to take what looks like a kickable three points and the fact that you know the the result has then gone begging, and our failure to at least attempt that, and our I, I guess our persistence and stubbornness and going for five, I don't know. It's just like I like, like I agree, you know, like especially like in those con, in those conditions, and when you're in the heat of the moment, and the, those guys would have been buggered that, you know, sometimes your option taking can go out the door, and, and you're almost just playing what's in front of you, but. I just, I mean, I wasn't even at the test, but I, but I, I think I speak for everyone there, and that you know they were sort of flabbergasted as to why the All Blacks didn't take the drop kick, not once but twice. So there was the one time when Carl Tuanakuafia dropped the ball right in front of the post, but then the Aussies run it and then Moranga strips it. So I was like, okay, well, shit, they get a second opportunity to set up for a drop goal, and they didn't. And in the end, you know, they they finished with a draw, and yeah, that's that's better than a loss, I guess. But you'd hope going forward that. I don't know. Maybe they practice that in their captain's run or towards the back end of you know of the kickers' trainings because, or you know, like we know, you know, if you get that three points, it's nineteen sixteen to the All Blacks, and we're probably not having as dire a conversation this week as we currently are. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, to me, it's neither here nor there. You know, in a funny sort of way. I think there's sometimes a mentality where it's just like, well, 
sometimes by instead of um, going for the drop kick, that by going for the try, maybe you're sort of catching the defence on the hop because I think everyone's getting prepared. As soon as they see someone in the pocket, they so they'll, they'll, they they can sort. There's already already have a, a commitment to attacking the kicker. Whereas sometimes you could catch the opposition on the hop by actually running it, if that makes any sense. I mean, who knows? You're in the heat of the moment. Yeah. I, I just think we're making a bigger deal out of this than it needs to be because it's not a knockout game. That's all. Yeah, I, I think the fact that the All Blacks hadn't shown all that much composure across the 80 minutes and then going into that extra time I think that the the drop kick was almost just the straw that broke the camel's back in a lot of ways it's like well you know the All Blacks have looked flustered the whole game and then their one opportunity in a crucial moment to then prove everything wrong you know that the idea that you know they, they turn up when it matters most um, I guess it just didn't eventuate and I guess that's like from 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 what I saw in the media I think that's probably what's happened but moving on to wrap this whole thing up changes for this weekend does Ian Foster throw in any of the youngsters does he bring in Scott Barrett who is apparently fit does he move Bowden Barrett into 10 you know what would you like to see or do you think that everybody gets a second chance I think it's a simple solution give everyone a second chance and I think if the forwards bar up and I think also as well maybe if the refs pay a bit more attention to the late hits then and if they do their job properly then I think the Aussies will get pinged which might stop a bit of that but I think it's just a it's, a, it's an opportunity for the guys who had not so good games to redeem themselves and I mean regardless whether they waste them or not I think a win's the most important thing but I, I think probably for the psyche of the nation and probably the team, and probably most of all the coach, a really good performance where maybe they put, you know, 20 or 30 on the Aussies would actually probably, um, yeah, silence the haters, for even if it's just for a week. But uh, Lord help us if we, <laughs> if we don't win, because, yeah, we'd have to go and win two games in Australia. And if they're up 1-0 and then they go home to their crowds, watch out. Mm. If Ian Foster loses this weekend and he goes over to Australia and the All Blacks don't win the Rugby Championship, does he get sacked before the end of the year? No. 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 Because this has been a really weird year, so no All Black coach has ever had to deal with this stuff, so... As much as people don't rate him and don't like him, he's... I mean, he already get, he'd already been given the point. This was already a poison chalice for him. For anyone else, it would have been okay, but this was the poison chalice because it's like this was an opportunity for the rugby union to bring in some new blood, you know, sort of, you know, just get clean things out of it from the established guys. They didn't do it. And if they get rid of him now, in the year one, it, it basically means they were wrong and they won't do that. I guarantee they won't do it. And I, even though I'm not a fan of his, I personally would be unfair on him as well. So, and this is, the, and like, I don't rate him at all, but I just don't think it's fair on him. Like, no one will ever have to deal with what he's had to deal with this year. Because even if there's COVID around next year, everyone's learnt from this year. 
this year has just been a huge learning curve for everyone. Not just in rugby, just all sports and all society, just, you know, itself. How the world is dealing with this pandemic. So, yeah, he's been, um, yeah, he's sort of been handed a really rough deal through no fault of his own, but, yeah. Yeah, no, I totally what you say. I, I, I do think it would be unfair, but I can only imagine what would be being said uh, in, in the media and at every single pub across New Zealand should the All Blacks not do well uh, before the year's end. But, yeah, what a bright note to finish this podcast on. Hopefully when I, when I touch base with you uh, on Sunday night or, or Monday, depending on what your plans are hopefully we've got some better news than what we've alluded to over the past half an hour but as always dad thank you very much for your time and yeah i'll catch up with you next week all right then hey to up